Welcome to the Making After School Cool podcast, the link between research, practice, and theory for those interested in the activities youth are involved with during non-school hours. The Making After School Cool podcast is produced by Case for Kids, the division of Harris County Department of Education, and I'm your host, Mike Wilson. Today's topic of the Making After School Cool podcast deals with digital literacy during this age of technological advancement. There are numerous theories regarding when computers were invented why they were invented, and how they were initially used. Information based on a technology timeline indicates that the first commercial scientific computer that could program calculations faster than previous machines was the IBM 701, introduced in 1953. Then the Whirlwind, developed by MIT in 1955, was a digital computer that had real-time graphics and enabled interactive computing and simulation. In 1971, there was the Kim Back One, which was the first personal computer that was affordable and accessible to individual users. As a little kid, I remember watching reruns of the old Batman television series, which showed this massive computer device hidden in the Batcave, which printed out answers to any of Batman's questions. Today, computers and other forms of technology has grown exponentially and is commonplace in our everyday lives. A recent article published in the Psychology and Cognitive Science Open Journal indicated that digital forms of communication, including emails, standard messages, service text messages, instant messaging, and networks like Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, Tumblr, Snapchat, among others, are common for teenagers and young adults. Research indicates that in 2014, 58% of adults had a smartphone. And that rate was probably higher regarding smartphone uses for teenagers. Within the last 10 years, the amount of time and understanding of technological terms in use has shifted the way people communicate. Seymour Papert used the term technological fluency to describe the ability to use and apply technology as easily as people use their first language. When a person has a large amount of technological fluency, They have the ability to express themselves creatively through technology. However, without guidance and training from a caring adult, young people can unintentionally misuse their technological fluency and it no longer becomes a valuable resource. To speak on living with teens in the digital age is Diana Graver. Diana is a digital literacy educator and advocate. She is the co-founder of CyberWise, a leading online safety and digital literacy organization. Additionally, she is also the founder of CyberCivics, the popular and innovative middle school digital citizenship and literacy program currently being taught in over 40 U.S. states, as well as the U.K., Canada, New Zealand, and Africa. Diana writes a blog in Psychology Today, which provides a wealth of information concerning youth and technology. Welcome to the Making After School Cool podcast, Diana. How are things going with you today? happy to be here. Great, great, great. Well, like I said, welcome. Thank you so much for taking some time. And I really appreciate the information that you're going to share with us. So as you probably know, some form of technology has been around for decades. However, over the last decade or so, the use of tech has grown to a point that we use it as part of our everyday lives. Yet the way many adults use it compared to youth is drastically different. So my first question is, 
When did you notice the need for adults to recognize how kids use technology and what motivated you to create your content regarding understanding the use of technology during this digital age? Well, it really goes back to my own kids. You know, as they were approaching middle school, um, I went back to school and got a master's in something called media psychology and social change. And it just so happened that I entered school the same year that um, the iPhone came out into the market for the first time, which was, I think that was 2007. And so I was really interested in how that new technology would change everything, but specifically how it would impact kids. Because I knew kids were gonna gravitate to this. So I really spent a couple of years immersing myself in the research and study. And that kind of got me on this whole trajectory of like, okay, first I'm gonna prepare my own kids and then how extrapolate that out and prepare all kids. You know, it's funny that you say that because when my kids were, were born, um, it seemed like they were using or playing with my phone and they were still in diapers. So uh, the way kids use and play games on their smartphones seem like they're starting at a younger age. At what age do you think it's appropriate for kids to start having their own electronic devices? Well, I think we really first have to define what the electronic device is. You know, there's a difference between a cell phone that connects to the internet and all the world and a cell phone that simply calls mom when you need to get picked up from soccer practice. So that's number one. Number two is I get asked this question a ton. So I actually wrote about this in the first chapter of my book. Instead of asking me that question, ask yourself seven questions or eight questions. Things like, um, does my child know what to do if they're cyberbullied? Can they protect their personal information? Do they know how to manage their digital reputation? Do they know how to turn, you know, walk away from screen time? Do they know where to go if something bad happens? So, you know, I think um, having that checklist of questions and if you feel confident that your child can do all those things, then I think they're ready to have a cellular device that can connect to the internet. Now you've written a lot of information regarding uh, digital technology and you publish some books uh, and you also do presentations and workshops. Can you give us a summary of your work regarding cyber civics and the digital citizenship uh, and your literacy course for middle school students? Absolutely, that, that's of all the work I've done, that's my favorite because I think it's the one that makes the impact. Um, I'm really a big advocate of teaching kids how to keep themselves safe online, and that's what cyber civics does. Um, it starts in sixth grade with a whole year of digital citizenship lessons that teaches kids the safe and responsible use of digital tools. Seventh grade, they get taught information literacy, which is how to use the internet as a great research tool. And then finally, eighth grade is media literacy, where they start using their critical thinking skills to analyze media messages. So it's a super robust curriculum. Uh, schools subscribe to us, we send it to them, they teach it themselves in the classroom. And it just makes a difference, you know? I mean, we can try to educate the parents all day, try to get the tech companies to change their practices, try to get Congress to pass legislation. All that's gonna take forever. Teaching kids works today. So I'm, I'm really pretty excited about cyber civics. You know, it's interesting too, because it seems like uh, kids understand and use and actually do probably more complex work than adults do, you know, with their phones. In fact, I remember this one incident with my daughter, I think she was probably in the sixth grade. Uh, we had a rule that they couldn't do, uh, be on their phones or use technology until they finished their homework. Right. And so one day I came home after work and uh, she was sitting at the dining room table and she had her cell phone up and she was talking while she was doing her homework. And so I was like, Jimmy, you know, you're not supposed to you know, be on the phone until you get through with your homework. 
And she looked up and she said, and she whispered this. She said, Dad, I am doing my homework. Basically, what she did was her and two other uh, girls in her classroom, they had a study group. And so they were FaceTiming each other. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I love that story because I think that's what parents miss so much. Like we automatically assume they're wasting their time, you know, when they're doing. And so many times, like I, I know this a lot because I still teach middle school kids. They're doing things like because they're interested in how a computer works. So they're going to look at a, a YouTube video about that, or they're going to call their friend on their phone because they forgot what the homework assignment was. And so right. what you did was so smart because you asked her what she was doing and yeah. you were surprised, you know, and then you were probably pleasantly surprised. I was pleasantly surprised. And then it also made me think that, you know, her generation has grown up using some form of technology. And in the future, because at one point I was worried that they were on their phones or on the computer too much, but the future yeah. is going to probably be a digital world as well. It and right. COVID changed everything. Yeah. You know, in fact, I used to do like these podcast interviews. We have a, a studio here in my office and I would have people come down and interview. But now I'm able to do it all over the country and all over the world. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is the new way, you know, for all and of us. And the quality is so good to where it's like, it doesn't make a difference. So, yeah. Um, one thing, like when I was a kid, I remember hearing the term generation gap to describe the difference between my lifestyle and my parents' lifestyle. Uh, today, we have a technological gap between youth and adults. Why do you think it is important for parents, educators, and other caring adults to interact with kids and be able to discuss the benefits and or dangers of technology and how to use technology in a responsible and appropriate way? Well, I think we both have something to teach one another. You know, I think as adults, we need to listen to what kids are doing because as we just spoke about, sometimes they'll su surprise us how they're using their phones to learn something, to connect with somebody, to do something positive. And then what we can give to our kids, even if we're not technologically adept, we're wiser, we've lived here longer, we have more uh, lived experience. And so what kids really need from us are just those life skills, how to be kind, how to be respectful, what to do when there's a problem. And that translates online and off. So we have to remember, even if we don't know how to code or what technical skills are, don't match our kids, we still have those important life wisdom skills that our kids need when they go online. I have an app that uh, basically tells me weekly, I get uh, a text message on Sunday. And it tells me the amount of time I spent on uh, my, my phone. It tells me if I went up, if I went down. And really, to be quite honest, I'm always surprised at the number of hours. <laughs> I know each day I'm like, well, dang, I was at work. I spent this much time on the phone. <laughs> but for kids, the amount of time they're on a digital device probably doubles the amount of time adults do. Would you say there is a point where kids spend too much time in front of a computer or on their phones? And if so, can all the screen time cause potential problems for them in the future? Well, what's interesting is the research tells us that teens and adults actually spend the same amount of time on their digital devices. I think it's like nine hours a day or something. So, you know, we have to look to ourselves first because kids are looking at us to figure out how to, you know, live their lives. We're the role models, right? So that's number one. And number two is, you know, again, going back to looking at what kids are doing rather than how much time they're doing it. Um, and I think when we have to worry is when that screen time interferes with the important things of life, like eating, sleeping, engaging with family, meal times, and 
if that if those important you know lifetime milestones family events are getting inter interrupted with because of screens then there's a problem yeah like i said you know when i look at my time i'm thinking how did i spend that much time on the phone i was at least at work for at least eight hours of this time <laughs> right. it's, it's surprising too i mean that's one of the lessons we do in cyber civics is we have them analyze their time on a typical day so they can figure out how much of it was used up by digital media and how much was offline and they're often surprised they're like holy cow i had no idea i spent that much time playing minecraft you know? right 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 and i'll squeeze in a game at work it's like okay i need a brain break so i have uh like a card game or a chess game you know real quick that i'll I call myself real quick. I'm gonna play this yeah. real quick and kind of reset my brain. <laughs> I do. Like, okay, I, I can do a quick wordle right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I earned it. Now, reviewing some of your work, uh, one thing I noticed you used the term online reputation. Can you elaborate on this term and uh, give us a brief a brief definition of its meaning? Yeah. So, as we all know, everything we post online stays online forever and can be seen by anyone and everyone. So. Today, a lot of people judge us by our digital reputation before they even meet us. So, you know, as adults, we're more or less aware of that. You know, we go on LinkedIn, we're careful what we post. But for a child, that's really important for them to understand because especially when they're young and they're not really thinking with their frontal cortex yet, they might post things that in 10 years would be super embarrassing. So, um, you know, good idea to wait till they're a little older, but also for them to understand that what they post online is gonna seem, be seen by strangers. And it could be somebody that's going to make a judgment about them that could be totally wrong. So for them to understand that is very important when they first start going online. You know, uh, I did talk to my, my girls. I have a high school senior this year, and then I have uh, my youngest is going to be a sophomore. She's entering her sophomore year. And so uh, I'm teaching the youngest how to drive, or at least riding with her and just praying that we make it home safely. But uh, we were talking, I told her I was going to have this interview coming up this week and we were talking and I did ask her about the digital reputation and she used the term digital footprint and, and she's like, you know, some of the things that uh, we're saying or how we're using it or so on. Yeah, that stays there. So I was glad to hear that she was somewhat familiar with it uh, because that was something I really hadn't thought about that. Yeah, true enough. Things that we, we post or uh, that we, you know, may write or something like that, that kind of stays with us. And my oldest, she's filling out co co college applications and that kind of stuff. And I got to thinking, you know, that's something that, you know, college admission, people may be looking at, right. applying for part-time jobs, all of those things. Yeah, so important. It's very important. Um, what are some simple guidelines kids should remember before, during, or after they post something online so that they can make sure that their uh, digital reputation is, is good? Well, I think always, you know, as much as you can remind them to do this is think before you post, you know, think about all the people that are going to see it, what they're going to think about it. Maybe you think it's funny, but sometimes jokes don't translate really well on the internet. It's hard to read sarcasm. So think about that as well. And then I think the second thing is to really think about the other people in your post or anyone that you're mentioning or tagging. And especially think about posting other people's pictures. You might want to ask their permission first because, you know, you want to be respectful because you're also, when you post things about your friends, you're impacting their digital reputation too. And they might have different standards than you have. And then finally, if you do post something that embarrasses you later or that you feel sorry about or you wish you hadn't do it, 
don't freak out. You know, your digital reputation is never really based on just one post. Hopefully it's a, it's kind of a, you know, a combination of all the entirety of your digital posting. So, you know, try to make up for it by posting positive things, being, you know, mindful in the future, but you know, hopefully we can all be understanding enough that kids make mistakes and that, you know, one bad post does not a bad kid make. Right. Uh, one thing I hadn't thought about until you mentioned it and also reading some of your work was people that, you know, you tag or forward things to. Right. That that also becomes a part of, of their timeline. And so wow. that's some really valuable information in regards to what and who you send things to or even things that you receive. Uh, right. work, working with edu education, other educational institutions, as well as uh, after school programs. Uh, some of the things like I had uh, a friend of mine had sent me a picture and it was just happy hour and he was with a group of friends. And I was thinking, man, y'all. You know, I got a lot of empty bottles on the table. <laughs> things like that, and other people might, you know. So, right, right. You know, we're adults. Think about a kid wouldn't even think about that twice. Right, right. Our generation had to face physical bullying, but today's generation have to deal with cyber bullying. What are some strategies that adults and people interacting with kids, as well as even the kids' friends? can do to intervene when they know someone is becoming a victim of cyberbullying? Well, one advantage of cyberbullying is it's visible. It's online and lots of people can see it. So that means lots of people can do something about it. Um, this is something we really hammer home in cyber civics. Like if you see a peer being cyberbullied, don't sit back and do nothing. Be an upstander. And there's three ways to do this. Um, you can stand up to the bully, you know, to ask the bully to stop. That takes courage. So if you don't want to do that, that's okay. There's two other things you can do. You can give comfort to the target, you know, give them a kind word, you know, talk to them, tell them to ignore the bully. And then third, and the most important one is to report it, report it to the platform where it happens. They all have rules against cyberbullying and report it to an adult that you trust, a parent, a teacher, a coach, just don't do nothing, you know, cause that kid, the person being cyberbullied might really need your help. Right. I remember um, when I was a kid and there was a, a victim of bullying. It was physical bullying at the time. And a group of us, you know, we were around them and everything. And I felt sorry for the target. Right. But I didn't say anything because I was afraid that the bully then would jump on me, you know, or the attention would be on me and he would say some, some bad things about me. So I didn't say anything. But when I went home, it was bothering me. And my dad asked, you know, what's, what's going on? What, what you're thinking about? And at first I didn't want to tell him, but he kept pressing. And finally I told him, you know, that there was, you know, a friend of ours got picked on and uh, I didn't say anything. And I hope that person doesn't think that I was supporting the individual who was, who was bullying him. And my dad said, you know, sometimes I know that's hard. That puts uh, you and, you know, your friends in a bad position. But if one person just says, man, that's not funny, then all of a sudden you'll be surprised the other people who are around you who would agree with you. That and is. so just saying something, doing something, or like you said, you know, quietly uh, talking to somebody, uh, that can definitely put a stop to it. But you have to do something. Exactly. How does social media apps such as Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, and others do you think can affect young people's self-esteem? Well, there's all kinds of research about this and the studies are really mixed. 
So for some kids, um, the constant comparison to others, the seeing perfect body images, this unrealistic, you know, images of beauty or perfection really has an impact on their self-esteem. For some kids, it, it rolls off their back. And then for other kids, they find something online that makes them think, oh, that person's like me, then I must be okay. So we're kind of all over the map here as far as that's concerned. Um, and I think the way that we address it is just to talk to kids about something called visual literacy, <laughs> you know, like all images are not real that you see online, they're doctored in some way, and maybe they mean something that they don't, and to really think twice when you see an image, maybe that person isn't really looking that awesome, you know, in real life. And number two is, you know, sometimes when people post things like, oh, I'm, you know, having a great time, everything's perfect, you know, maybe their life isn't so perfect, you know, there's a person behind the screen that may not be showing you their foibles or the things that aren't so great. So just to be aware of that, I think is important to arm kids with those critical thinking skills um, so that regardless of what end of the spectrum that they survive on, they will have those skills to be able to think twice about the things they see online. Yeah. And it was funny because my mother, I'm kind of that sandwich generation. Mother's, my mother is 84. And she doesn't really like going out a lot. I mean, her her, her friend, uh, her circle is, is pretty small. And so now she's kind of become addicted to the phone. I felt like at times of talking to my daughters because I would tell her, mom, yeah. you need to eat, you know, <laughs> put your phone down. <laughs> but, but one thing that uh, she's having a hard time understanding that if she clicks on something, like she got something the other day and it was, and it was really inappropriate. She thought it was inappropriate. And I told her, it's like, you know, the more you click on that type of uh, subject matter, the more of those you're going to get. Yeah. And so you have to be careful. Sometimes things come up and you're not sure what it is. And so you may click on it. I guess that clickbait stuff. But be yeah. careful on the type of content that you see majority of the time or that you like to be exposed to. Because I tell my girls that as well. Um, the, the the things that you that are positive, that's reassuring, that gives you confidence. When you view those kinds of things, you'll get more of that. And when you look at negative stuff, you end up getting more of that as well. And I always tell the students, like, your a like button is a vote. You know, you're voting for things that are positive and good and hopefully not things that are terrible and make you feel bad about yourself. So really think about the power you have when you go online, when you like or comment or, or share something. You know, try to circulate the good stuff and let's get rid of the bad stuff, you know? Right us we have that power you know uh one of the things with with technology um being able to photoshop images and you know especially for for girls uh with photoshop and this this thing about beauty uh, i think at times it can influence girls a lot harder than boys and one of the things that is also kind of reassuring is there's been a lot of celebrities who have posted things with them without makeup yeah. or them in their everyday life. And so they're kind of showing this is the real me and this is how I actually look versus me playing a role or, you know, having the makeup artist and things like that. So I think that is giving girls a lot of self-confidence and help their self-esteem when they get to actually see real people versus the Photoshop image. Yeah. I, I really applaud celebrities and influencers doing that. There's a, there's some, uh, groups on Instagram of, of people who do that every single day, post those real photos. And I think for kids, they really need to see that, you know, it's not all perfection, like some people or, or places would like you to believe. 
Exactly. And the, you know, magazine covers, they're airbrushed and photoshopped. And so when you look at what is actually being uh, presented at a store at the counter versus what that person actually looked like prior to them doing that, you're like, okay, yeah, this is this is the real person. Uh, I guess I'm okay as well. Yeah, and you bring up a good point. This is not a new phenomenon, you know. This is this existed well before there was digital technologies, you know. The airbrushing and all that was in our magazines. So, it's just now more pervasive. We can't blame technology for this problem. It's sort of ongoing. And now we're coming to the end of this particular episode. Do you have any final comments before we close? Well, I mean, I think your questions have been great and it's really underscored the point that you know, we can't know everything as a parent. This stuff is moving fast and changing all the time, but we can be curious. We can ask questions. We can talk to our kids. That's really what they need. So I hope if anybody, you know, hears that and that's the one takeaway that they get from this, I think that will be really awesome. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, uh, one of the interesting things and really enjoyable things when I'm doing some stuff with my daughters is I ask them for assistance or I ask them for help. That. Yeah. yeah. And they, I mean, they see, even though they may not say anything, there's a little, you know, smile. It's like, dad, you know. <laughs> yeah. I know. I have two daughters as well, and they always chastise me because of my work, but I still, there's a lot I don't know. You know, yeah. I'm like, how do I do this? And they're like, oh, mom, I thought you were so cyberwise. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm still learning, and I'm not yeah. to admit it. Yeah. Well, Diana, thank you so much for being my guest on today's episode of the Making F School Cool podcast. Really appreciate it. Like I said earlier, you taking out some time and sharing some of your expertise. You're very welcome. As always, I want to thank my listeners for joining me today, where our topic focused on living with teens in the digital age. Please join me for future episodes as we continue to explore issues relevant to the out-of-school time field.